pull up my notes. All right, we're live. Another we're episode. Live. Excellent. Of Monero Talk. Um, we got Arctic Mine. AK or what's what's the real name? It's Francisco Cabanas. 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 And uh, what what's the uh, the handle mean? Does it have any uh, any meaning? Originally, it had a meaning. Okay. Meaning was I was living in Prince George. I was buying Bitcoin in the middle of the winter. The process in Canada meant you go to a bank, you withdraw, say, $200, and then you go to another bank and deposit it into the exchange. You do that in minus 40, 30 to minus 20 weather. <laughs> By the time I get home, my hands are freezing. I stick them behind the mining to warm up. So I basically had my computers with GPU mining for Bitcoin at the time. And so I would warm up my hands by sticking it behind a Bitcoin mint. That's a good story. Yeah, so that's why I came up with the concept. <laughs> do, you, do you still mine? Very seldom. Okay. Uh, mostly a buyer, holder, uh, some trading, but mostly buy and hold. So you, st so you started in Bitcoin, and then how did you transition over to uh, Monero? Monero. Oh, okay. I started in Bitcoin in 2011. That was in the fall of 2011. Then those days you could buy a Bitcoin for like $5, $2, $3, that kind of stuff. And I approached it from the perspective of I'm an investor. How can it fail? So I spent an incredible amount of time studying Bitcoin and looking at strengths. And I found one weakness, scaling. This thing does not scale. You had a hard fork and other people can use it. By 2014, I was doing research on Bitcoin scaling. I came across Monero. Totally by chance, I posted on Bitcoin Talk. I said, okay, fine, I'm going to take a look at this. I used to be a Bitcoin maximalist. Not into altcoins at all. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at this. So I spent some time looking at it. My due diligence was, does it scale? Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, they've solved this problem. They don't realize it, but they have. This is really interesting. So I started doing my research on Monero. And then I started basically buying Monero with my Bitcoins. When, did you, when so, did you come across Monero in the very early? Very like, early, uh, 2014. And, and I think it was about June, May, June 2014. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was one of the very early posts. I, I started buying that summer with Bitcoin. And then I spent more time researching Monero uh by the fall i spent some time doing some analysis for the core team at the time with respect to the um they wanted to change the emission curve which was a non-starter but i did some analysis for that did a fair amount of buying during the bottom of the bear market and by about middle of 2015 i realized that i had to get out of bitcoin that bitcoin wasn't going to go anywhere because of the scaling issue and i had to be somewhere where it would scale and where we work in the future. When you say the scaling issue, what are you referring to exactly? I'm referring the block to the, size? The, I'm referring to the simple fact that Bitcoin has a hardcore coded block size that limits its growth, and that's hard-coded into the protocol. Furthermore, you cannot really change this because you have to go to very core elements of the protocol. Uh, in order to make it viable, you kind of have to look at increasing the maximum number of coins. Well, that is a major violation of the social covenant of Bitcoin. 
But the problem is, this is being repeated in Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, Dash, pretty well every major uh, proof-of-work cryptocurrency. Even Ethereum Classic went ahead and they moved away from a fixed minimum block reward to a fixed number of coins, creating the same problem there. So there, Ccash has the same problem. Um, pretty well everybody's gone into this thing, go back to the Satoshi paper, and they said this fee market is going to emerge out of nowhere and solve this problem. And there's no evidence that I have seen that justifies this. I've seen a fair amount of evidence that says that it can't happen or has this or that problem. So what? just to, before we keep proceeding, because like, yeah. obviously yeah. you have a very good understanding of, of, of the architecture and how things scale. What is your background before you even got into Bitcoin itself? My did a degree in physics, a PhD in physics, and my degree, my undergraduate degree is in physics and mathematics. Okay, and you obviously, you have some programming skills as well. Uh, I am self-taught. I mean, I started programming in the 70s with punch cards and Fortran, assembler. So I'm self-taught programmer, basically, because in those days, you have to learn how to code on your own. It, was, right. it wasn't even taught in university right. to a large degree. It's something that you learn at work kind of thing. Right. So I have a lot of experience from coding from that perspective. I don't do a lot of coding, uh, more advice in this sense, mm -hmm. but I understand all the concepts. Gotcha. <laughs> like I said, I, I basically, my, my background in programming is Fortran and Assembler. So when you came across Monero, I mean, so, so, you, so you read the crypto note, white paper, and then, so what kind of, what was your thinking there when you... I read was, the was Monero did was Monero designed to overcome some of the was it designed for that purpose to overcome the shortcomings of Bitcoin? Is that was that Absolutely. kind of feeling? Now Monero, let me let me clarify here. Um, CryptoNote and the CryptoNote uh, block paper, for example, Bitcoin does not fully overcome this shortcoming in Bitcoin, and the reason is they still stuck with the maximum number of coins. It is the modification to crypto node that Monero did, which is to introduce this minimum tail emission of 1%, just under 1%, that's right, it's 0.6 Monero per block, that makes the whole thing viable. Without the tail emission, the adaptive block size limit, the crypto node adaptive block size limit will fail and the coin will become insecure. In fact, that's what my research has been involved in the Monero project essentially has shown to me. So I didn't realize that. So CryptoNote uh, had the adaptive block size, but it didn't have the tail emission component? That's correct. The tail oh, emission wow. component was introduced by Monero. And and, and that's a critical, and it was a very strong force. I have a lot of credit to the early core team, because I wasn't involved in this at all, that they came up with this. Because this is what makes Monero viable. Mm-hmm. And now, so you you weren't involved in that process at all, or no, you kind of no, you kind of no, watched? No, okay, I, I was not involved. I mean, I I was even at the time hadn't even realized it was necessary myself. Mm -hmm. I even questioned it at one point, <laughs> and but it was explained to me. Uh, Javier Smooth, for example, great. He explained to me, you know, no, this is this is why we have to do this. This is this is needed, and then I started to understand it once I really spent the time looking at, at the problem because it, my involvement in the core team. Since 2006 in Monero has been primarily on the scaling question and the fee structure. Well, the way the fees are set in Monero, the total fees per block are proportional to the block reward. 
If the block reward goes to zero, so do the fees. There is no possibility of the Satoshi fee market. Mm -hmm. That's how scaling works in Monero. Gotcha. Are there other components that Monero has that the original crypto note white paper didn't really talk about in terms of architecture? Like what, how, how different is Monero? From original crypto note? Yeah. Uh, very. I mean, apart from this first key question, then we have confidential transactions or ring confidential transactions. We have, which is not part of crypto mm -hmm. Uh We now have bulletproofs, which is not part of crypto -no. We have minimum uh, ring, um, sorry, minimum number of rings. This is a Monero innovation, which is not going to become fixed number of rings, not part of crypto -no. So that's just the start. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot in Monero. Monero's evolved a lot from the original crypto note over this four-year period. And so how did you become part of the core team? I was invited. I was asked to join the core team. Uh, I was involved in uh, a lot of postings of Bitcoin talk on this very issue of scaling. Mm -hmm. um, and I also did some work, uh, as I said, for the core team uh, in a couple of other things. Uh, primarily or initially was regarding the uh, emission curve analysis. Um, and I was invited to join, and I and I decided to yes, so this is something I can do, I can contribute to. I should point out that one of my requirements for being involved in the core team is that Monero be what's called, and I'm quoting FinCEN here, a decentralized virtual currency. By that I mean there is no pre-mine, there's no founders reward, there's none of that. It's all an open source project, without all the money that is goes to the miners. And then it gets sold through the mining process. There is no core team control of emission that is then distributed in this or that direction. And that's a very serious and very important regulatory issues, by the way, mm -hmm. and, and risks, which I wasn't prepared to take. So I would not touch most anything that's got a, 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 a minimum, a, a, a sort of a fund founders reward or a pre-mine or post-mine or a mid-mine or an ICO, this or that nature, or some kind of token sale or whatever. I would not touch that. Do you consider any other projects fitting into that category other than like Bitcoin? Bitcoin, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash actually still meets that criteria. Dogecoin. Actually, Dogecoin is interesting because it actually has a tail emission. So you could retrofit a Monero type scaling onto Dogecoin without drastically changing the social covenant. Um, there's very few. Uh, Ethereum Classic might meet that requirement. In a sense, but um, Ethereum had a, it was a big pre-mine, so no. So there's very few projects that, that meet that name coin. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. So the, what got you really most excited about Monero was the fact that it seemed to have figured out how to get over the the scaling issue. Absolutely. Um, but then, how about the whole privacy aspect? Because that's really what most people are focused on. Is that something that was? Court. It's important, but without scaling, you ain't going to get privacy. And then give me give you an example. I mean, a Monero, current Monero transaction is about 26 times the size of a Bitcoin transaction. Well, the reason you could do this is because you have an adaptive block size limit. And you have the capability to support the privacy infrastructure. You have the capability to support that infrastructure. And if you take that away, well, suddenly, I mean, confidential transactions were developed for Bitcoin. And they're implemented in Monero. 
CoinJoin was developed for Bitcoin. It's been implemented in Dash. What's the reason why? Well, you don't have the Bitcoin blockchain doesn't have the uh, capability, the scale to support this kind of stuff. Oh, you so, think it, well, it's, <laughs> I guess it's also too because of the kind of the momentum behind Bitcoin and mm. the fact that it's it, it, it can't really pivot, right? Uh, it doesn't really have the ability. Whereas like Monero, for example, we're upgrading every six months. That Do you think that plays a role into it as well? Yes, it does. But the fundamental problem that Bitcoin has and Monero doesn't have is that it does not have the ability, has not resolved the scaling issue. And you cannot solve it without fundamentally changing the, the social covenant. So it doesn't have the ability to pivot. It's easy to add something into a, consensus which overwhelmingly supportive of the community that's why monero gets away with all these hot folks because everything is being presented is strongly enhances the value of monero to everybody involved but when you have a situation which what you have in bitcoin where you have this maximum block reward <coughs> sorry maximum number of coins with a with a block reward falling and that's a problem well if you're going to change the 21 million bitcoin limit which is what you have to do to address this issue fundamentally well, that's, that's a non-starter. So you have two groups of people right now in Bitcoin, both of which are very good at pointing out the other side is wrong because that's easy to do. It's easy to demonstrate, but they neither of which can provide a solution. So I guess what, what a Bitcoin maximalist would say to you is this: these aren't issues that you're talking about because the scaling is going to take place on the second layer. So what would ah, be your response? Uh, my response to that? to that is very straightforward. Read the Lightning Network paper because it tells you the, the answer is right in the Lightning Network paper. Go towards the end of the paper, and it actually has it says it's talking about blocks about 133 megabytes under ideal conditions for Lightning Network. Now, I would say the second layer might give you a factor of 10 or 20, maybe it ain't going to give you it's not going to solve the whole scaling issue, but you need scaling to support Lightning Network. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, how do you close the channels? Right. And then, I mean, a question I had had um, to Samsung Galaxy player, and it's actually when he rec he recommended I, I talk to you. Yes, uh, was if if the if eventually the block reward runs out on Bitcoin, right? Yes, uh, there there is no tail emission. Yes, um, and if the idea is going to be that transactions are going to be taking place on the second layer, so then there's there's going to be little mining reward. From transactions that that's essentially how how is Bitcoin going to maintain its security if all transactions are taking place on the second layer and there's no transactions taking place on the core protocol layer? Well, there's no I don't know. I, I don't. Like what, I, would, what would be the incentive for miners to mine if there's no longer um, basically if miners will no longer be, will be receiving uh, you know. Transaction, transaction fees. No, there won't be transaction fees, and there won't be receiving a block reward. I don't know. The, I don't have an answer to that problem. Is that something that's being talked about? Is that? No. Uh... It's the reason I sold my bitcoins, <laughs> like three years ago. Right. And I'm, I'm not kidding you. I mean, I'm not standing here. I mean, I made a conscious decision to get out of Bitcoin because of these issues. So I'm not the person to answer that question. No, I mean. Uh... You know, I, you're speaking to the choir here. I, I obviously have less of a technical understanding, but it's from reading, uh, basically, I guess, from reading the things you have written on uh, Reddit and things I've read from other people. Um, and that's what's kind of pushed me 
uh, towards Monero and away from Bitcoin. Um, so do you think it's possible that Lightning might even make more sense on Monero? Absolutely. And for those reasons? Absolutely. And in fact, globally, and this, uh, they're working on a project um, precisely to do this kind of, build these kind of second layer structures. Now, let me, let me say something. I see Lightning as something that's quite useful for certain applications. I'll give you an example where I see a really powerful Lightning application. And that would be where you're making regular pay payments to somebody else. You open a channel with a merchant, let's say you're on regular pay payments. That's great. It is not a replacement for scaling. It is a tool and a very useful one. And actually has some privacy advantages in Monero because if you make a lot of payments from one person to another, that could actually be attackable from a privacy perspective. So Lightning could actually be very useful in Monero, but it is not a replacement for on-chain scaling. But you think it, it could, it will, do you think it will improve fungibility on Bitcoin? Uh, on Monero, yes. No, on, on Bitcoin. I in don't know, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, Bitcoin has more problems than fungibility right now. To be okay. honest, hey, fungibility is a problem because everybody's figured out how to do all of this chain analysis on, on Bitcoin, which is destroying fungibility on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, Lightning might take some, might have some advantages, but I, I don't see Lightning as a fungibility solution uh, in, in Bitcoin, primarily because it does involve third parties. They, they, you know, people have to open channels, close channels. So there's people you can regulate there. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be regulated. I'm not saying that, for example, that uh, Lightning nodes are, are going to be considered MSBs, but they could be. I mean, it's a gray or gray area. So I'm not sure that fungibility is going to really be a big gain in, 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 in Bitcoin there. Mm -hmm. I don't see it. I, I, I mean, it'll take some pressure off the main blockchain if they can get the, the channels to close, but there's a stability of the channels. If, if you cannot get the channels to close, the whole thing collapses. And that's the problem that concerns me of Lightning on, on Bitcoin. You don't have that scaling on the on the underlying chain. So, do you think this is something that's going to start to uh, you know become? I mean, it's it's kind of being ignored right now, right? I mean, very much. Seem, yeah. So, what what at what point will everybody kind of open their eyes to that? Well, I suspect two things are going to happen. The first thing is going to happen is people have not paid a lot of attention uh, to Monero as a scaling solution. And the reason they haven't done this is because Monero transactions are 26 times the size of a Bitcoin transaction. Mm -hmm. But how on earth can this thing scale? It's very easy to shoot it down. This, of course, ignores another important fact, which is when I talk about scaling, I talk about protocol scaling. And by that, I mean I talk about the protocol supporting scaling as opposed to the current technology. Because mm -hmm. technology has changed a lot. Like, just to give you an idea, in the period of time that the... Bitcoin block size debate has been going on, which is eight years. The bandwidth of user bandwidth has increased by a factor of 26. You can check Nielsen's law. Wow. That is the difference in size between a current size Monero transaction and a Bitcoin transaction. Right. So you're so saying that this, there shouldn't be a concern about scaling on the protocol level. The concern should be for the protocol because the protocol needs to support scaling rather than being focused about current technology because current technology is surely changing. The goalposts mm -hmm. are moving as we speak. I mean, the, the goalposts have moved for the last 70, 100 years. And so what's critical, protocols and business models don't change. But 
technology changes. Mm -hmm. So the reason I believe that it hasn't been looked at is because of this huge transaction size. So I think Bulletproofs is going to really bring down the transaction size and people are going to suddenly realize, wait a minute, Monero can scale. Because then they're going to look at fees are going to go down um, because transaction sizes go down. So that's going to open the, uh, the door to this. There's a huge amount of denial because it's not just Bitcoin. It's Litecoin. It's Bitcoin Cash. Mm -hmm. It's Dash. There's a whole bunch of other coins that are in the same situation. Ccash, they all have the same problem. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not just it's not just Bitcoin. So do you think that the fundamentals of, of Monero will, will eventually uh, allow it to rise to the top? Or do yes, you think I we're do. kind of fighting against the network effect of Bitcoin? And even though Bitcoin has some shortcomings, I guess maybe some people could ar argue that it's good enough it's a good enough protocol. How, how can it be a good enough protocol if people can't use it? I mean, well, I mean very basic stuff. Right. I mean, the failure level of Bitcoin is very simple. It is people can't use it. Only a small percentage of people can use it. This thing is not going to replace Visa. It's not going to replace any kind of, it's not going to compete. I don't even think it's not going to compete with these guys. Because you're limiting the number of transactions per second at a fundamental level. So sooner or later, this is going to catch up. But I don't know when. I, got, I cannot say that. What did you think about uh, Fluffy Pony kind of moving away from core and uh, deciding to concentrate more on second layer stuff like Tari? Tari, Tari is a great project. Uh, I can see why. And, and, and it's natural evolution. I mean... And it's a healthy thing because I think that whatever some people might have thought it's getting way too, too dependent on one person, and, and you want to spread it out a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's that's a healthy move. Uh, a lot of what he's been doing there, I mean, globally, I think has a lot of potential, huge potential, because it's basically the payment infrastructure that never happened in Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and that's a critical the on ramps to. Uh, and Tari is the same sort of thing. I mean, you're, you're building something on top of the second layer solution. So yeah, I think it's, a, it's healthy. It's a good evolution, I think. And and he's not totally abandoning Monero by by any means. He's very involved, but but he has to face out. I think it's a good thing. It's a healthy move. It's a very healthy move, actually. Do you communicate with? Uh, continue to communicate with these core guys? Absolutely, on a, on a regular basis. I'm on. You know, you we're on all the time, dealing with all sorts of things, and with other members of the community. I mean, it's an ongoing issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things that come up behind the scenes that you have to sort of work on, that are raised, etc. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just trying to understand the whole, the big picture more. At what point do we kind of get, are, are we where Monero is what it needs to be? I mean, when are we, are we ever done building the base protocol layer? I believe eventually we will. I think there is a, there's an evolutionary um, effort with, with uh, cryptocurrency, just as it with any type of software. Let me give you an analogy, a historical analogy, a very good one. Take a look at a spreadsheet and take a look at office software. From 1978 to 1998, huge growth in productivity. Last 20 years, virtually none. So you, with software development, you, you go through this innovation growth, is you get to a point where you've done what you need to do. It starts to flatten out. Mm -hmm. The same thing will happen with Monero. 
Uh, it's very hard to predict as when it'll happen, but it will happen. You you, you reach a point, an asymptotic point. This is as best as it's going to get, and then it becomes a more of a maintenance situation as opposed to a development situation. And I expect that was that's going to happen with with Monero, just as any other type of software. So, do you know what some of the other big things are that need to kind of be tinkered with? I mean, we you know, um, in Monero right now, yeah. Um, well, we can start by by bulletproofs. We then continue uh, things such as Kobori, the, the whole uh, uh, IP an uh, anonymization and privacy at that level. That's a huge areas that are happening in there. Just at the there's a question of data chains or side chains in Monero, which I think is a lot of opportunity for that. <coughs> so those that that type of protocols, I, there's some possible ideas of what could be done there, but it's definitely areas for development. Just off the top of my head, but again. That's going to come from the community. That's going to come from an overall evolutionary process. What I see is, is it's going to be a trend and it's going to flatten out. Can I predict exactly what's going to be? No, I, I wouldn't be able to say that. Could you maybe give us an idea of where you see the scaling going? Because, I mean, I hear things like you're saying, with like lightning on top of Monero, but then you also hear things like Mimblewimble as a side chain. I mean, I... Are these like two separate options? Are we going to possibly see all combinations of these things? I don't see these things primarily as scaling solutions. Lightning has uses quite apart from scaling. Ultimately, what's going to drive scaling in Monero is very simple. It is the crashing cost of bandwidth, digital memory, and computing power. That's what's going to do it. That's what's going to make blockchain viable. And it's outside of the realm what Monero does. And just to give you an idea, and this is where I think you get the perspective of age. You know, I've got white hair. I'm a 61-year-old baby boomer. Hmm. Well, I'm old enough to remember when people send telegrams as a normal means of communication. And where you pay like $10, $20 a word. And where you, you had telegram style. Telegram style where you actually write to, to minimize the number of words. And at some point in time in the mid-19th uh, century, it was like $2,000 to send a 10-word message from Britain to the U to U.S. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is, is we're seeing this falling price of the cost of keeping the ledger, to make it a simple way. Just to give you a, more, uh, so a longer-term example, I recently, well, I actually, wow, about 20 years ago, I got a, a friend of mine gave me a 286 which was obsolete at the time, and I've been restoring it lately. It had a 10 megabyte hard drive, which at the time in the 1980s would have cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 Canadian dollars. A year ago, I bought a 10 terabyte hard drive to back up blockchains and all, etc., for about 700 Canadian dollars. And this is a high, high end. Mm -hmm. That's a factor of over 10 to the 7 in the cost of keeping the ledger. And we're talking basically roughly 30 years, about a generation. So, for example, to go from a centralized ledger to a decentralized ledger, let's say you have 10 to the 5 nodes, which is more than enough. Monero, Bitcoin have way less than that. That means it's a hundredfold increase in the cost of keeping the ledger. But now your cost goes down. You have 100,000 copies of the ledger, but the cost per copy goes down by 10 to the 7. Mm -hmm. So the net effect is a reduction in price by 10 to the 2, by 100-fold. Mm. 
That's interesting. That's kind of the, the perspective one has to take. So credit cards. Is this, is this a calculation that you just like kind of back of the napkin ran or happening right now? You could do it, and you could yeah. go ahead as far as you want. I mean, you go back into the fifties. I think even but, Satoshi himself, right in the early days when he was on the forums, he was talking about uh, basically technology catching up and making comparisons to, you know, the fact that we were couldn't run a video uh, on our computer, and you oh, know yeah. now now we're right. Uh, he, he understood uh, Satoshi understood that extremely well, mm -hmm. which is why he was not concerned about scaling. The problem was <coughs> so, but you go back to the 1950s and they're, and they're loading this five megabyte hard drive with a forklift onto one of the biggest planes at the time, one of the Electras or something, you know, uh, through a hatch. You know, for I, there's a picture of this. Oh, there's a picture of uh, the IBM punch card repository of the US government, which contained about half a gigabyte of data. It's, it's in um, Wikipedia. They say four, four, four gigabytes, but they got it wrong. It's about half a gigabyte. And it was like a warehouse with rows and rows and rows of punch cards. And it's half a gigabyte. Right. And I don't so think... I don't think a lot of people have... Yeah, I don't think a lot of people obviously don't have that perspective because they, they've only, you know... Well, they I mean, haven't, they haven't seen the whole transition. They haven't been in tech. Like, like the longer you've been around in tech, obviously, the longer that you're going to realize these things. But, but what I'm saying is that we're talking this huge growth, and it's no obvious end of a change. Like mm -hmm. we're talking about, like you've got a smartphone or you've got a, an SSD drive. That's three-dimensional chips, not two-dimensional chips. So Moore's Law is right out of the equation because now we're going from a two-dimensional chip to a three-dimensional chip. Like oh, wow. so, so you're saying Moore's law is really no longer a restriction at well, this point? Well, it's no longer applicable because it's, it's Moore's law is just part of the equation. Right? Like Moore's law started in the 1960s and it's probably ending around now. <coughs> but we're moving to three-dimensional ships, mm -hmm. uh, which is actually means that you have far more densities. And you also have far the, the CPU processing power goes into the memory, <coughs> excuse me, which means that you know, you're going to have even higher and higher computing grades. So look at bandwidth. I mean, uh, people are putting fiber to the home all over the place. But don't be fooled by this. Fiber to the home, sure, the provider said we're going to go 300 megabits a second. I think it's capable way into the gigabits. Because basically what they did is they pushed copper to its maximum theoretical limit before they went and put fiber in. <coughs> so, no, we, you know, it's, I, I see these trends continue. So that's where scaling is going to come from. Mm -hmm. So what do you think Monero needs to be concentrating on? Monero as a community. So rather than running around with chickens without heads like everybody else in the in the crypto sphere saying, what are we going to do about scaling? And you know, well, uh, I mean, what, Monero, should, what should the focus be? The focus be is what it's doing right now. Yeah. Very, 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 to be quite specific. I mean, it has to be what, what it's going, doing right now. Excuse me. Um, you focus on the privacy. You focus on improving. But you have to realize that scaling is going to get taken care of by um, by technology. There's nothing wrong with improving efficiency, which is what's going on. That's perfectly healthy. Uh, a lot of the focus on privacy and, and, and anonymity is right on the on right track. So it's pretty much on the right track as a community. Mm -hmm. um, so just keep up, keep what we're doing. That's what I would say. I mean, I don't see a need for a fundamental change in the way the community is right, going. It's basically doing what it's supposed to be happening. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's a good thing we're not focusing on scaling. But 
scale is going to get taken care of. So, but I think people are going to realize that that is taking care of itself. How much longer do you think we're going to be doing these six month upgrades? Ah, that's an interesting question because that goes back to the prior question: How fast is the uh, protocol evol evolving? I don't know, but I think eventually it will not it, it will not be as relevant. Mm -hmm. um, I expect basically because you don't there isn't a need. Uh, it's going to happen as long as there's a need and as long as this product th there's improvements that are that are really beneficial to the community. Uh, and then they will continue to happen. Eventually, I think they might move to a point where the upgrades are relatively minimal and maybe they'll be spaced out. But the reason this is happening is because what's being presented to the community is a significant improvement in, in what Monero is as a cryptocurrency. That's why it's happening. Mm -hmm. And if that stops happening, the community is not going to go for it. Mm. So, uh, and how, about, how about in terms of using the you know, the, the six-month upgrades to kind of stay ahead of uh, the ASIC miners. Do you think that's a, that's a good approach? Do you think that's the right approach? It's well, necessary? it'll buy us time. It's buying us time. But what is also happening right now is there's some very interesting work being done in developing adapted algorithms. Uh, and there's a, this work being done by HYC. Which, uh, uh, there's a lot of very interesting work in that area has been done. Um, one of the, okay, I'm, I'm losing your light here, by the way. I don't know if you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the things that is happening is that there's a lot of work in the community and that's also creating a lot of uncertainty to the prospective miners because there's a very strong support in the community against ASICs, which was much stronger than it was say a year ago. I mean, the community has been radicalized against ASICs, to put it bluntly. Mm -hmm. By the way, the whole thing was introduced, by the way, the, the ASICs were introduced and so on. So I think someone trying to create an ASIC in Monero is facing much more, it's less a question of the technical issues, and more a question of the, um, the fact that you don't know what the community is going to do to put you out of business, basically. That's a huge uncertainty that's created. Mm -hmm. But yes, I think it's a lot of work in the community that is going to make that um, no longer no longer really needed. But but it's happening. I can't predict what's going to happen. I just believe it's going to happen. There's a mm -hmm. lot of very smart people looking at this problem right now in the community. Mm -hmm. I would not want to bet against them. <laughs> what an ASIC manufacturer has to do. What do you think of the? Uh... The last fork where the ASICs kind of branched off and continued to mine the old coin. I mean, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Well, I was one of the few members of the community that believed that the, the, that took the approach of feeding it to the bears. Mm -hmm. naturally. And by that, I mean dumping the thing. And I made some money on it. I don't make any bones. So there's a way to, at the time, can't be done now, but at the time, there's a way to extract it without impacting the, the privacy of Monero. So you could basically create very large uh, ring signatures and then you can avoid the you can have enough of an overlap that mm -hmm. you have enough of an overlap that allows you to not disclose the the key that was common you have essentially in order to get around the the privacy problem what you have to do 
is you have to have enough fake uh, outputs, sorry, fake inputs on both chains that are the same. If you have a big enough overlap, then you have an effective mixing of about five or seven or something like that. So it could be done. Um, so my opinion on it is that a, a multifaceted approach to response is best. Some people are going to say just ignore it. Some people are just going to dump it. And that worked fine. I think it was overestimated the impact and on, on the Monero chain. Uh, Samsung's work, uh, Samsung Galaxy Player's work, is a worst-case scenario. And it's more applicable, I think, to the actual uh, fork chains themselves than it is to Monero because of the fact that there's a lot of um, transactions in Monero that are already spent, but which are unknown, so you can't expose. Technical uh issue, -huh. but basically the... the uh, Privacy, I think the privacy. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Okay. Sorry about that. No problem. All right. So, what, what do you think? Yeah, um, you got anything else big to talk about that's kind of happening uh, behind the scenes in core? Well, what I can say that's happening is I think the big thing is going to happen right now. Of course, is bulletproofs lowering transaction sizes by a factor of five, lowering fees initially by a factor of twenty-five, or in reality by a factor of five. In real terms, that is going to be a very significant impact. I don't think we have seen that happen yet. I don't see seen the market really get the what's happening there. So I think that's the main, that's the big thing that's happening now in the pipeline right now. Mm -hmm. It's out there. It's out in the open. The code is on on GitLab, GitHub. But yeah, no, it's very exciting. It's extremely exciting, and I think I may answer the the, the long term scaling question. It may have at least put some debate. But I remain with my point of view. I think that Monero is one of the few viable coins, very few coins that are viable to address the scaling problem. Mm -hmm. well, I guess what, one other thing back to ASICs was um, yes. the the random, what is it called? Random JS, that proposal that was yes. been talked about. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's one of the possibilities that's out there, that is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really spent a lot of time looking at it myself because that's not my strongest area of expertise. I tend to focus on one element of the project primarily and then do a really good job on that rather than try to spread myself all over the place. But I trust on the people that are working on it. I think uh, uh, it may well be a very one part of the solution, this idea of changing the, the um, sort of self-changing code. Which is essentially what this is doing. So you now the other thing about ASICs I should point out, we're going to be moving more and more towards uh, more like a field programmable array scenario, FGPA kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, with general purpose CPUs and GPUs. This so it's going to be a change in there too. So you may see a lot of um, more less advantage of the ASIC. The other thing about ASICs that I should make very clear, the problem with ASICs is not ASICs per se. It's that they're controlled by one entity because of how they're developed. If you commoditize the ASIC, then you're okay. Right. You don't care. So that's the other factor that could happen. If the thing just becomes a commodity, and, and effectively at that point in time, 
the motivation for fighting ASICs is fighting centralized control. That's the reason you want to fight ASICs. Mm -hmm. Turn them into a commodity, then it becomes less of an issue or a non-issue at all. Right. But that's just going to take obviously take some time. That will take time. So, wait, so it's a more, I think, gaining. It's, I think, more, more a question of buying time in, in, mm -hmm. in this than anything else. Mm -hmm. But right now, Monero is in a very nice position. I mean, we're the largest GPU coin. Let's not kid ourselves. Ethereum is already heavily being mined by ASICs. And anybody who tells you otherwise is deluding themselves. Mm -hmm. What do you think of uh, kind of like these, these botnets and things that are, that are being used to mine Monero? Botnets, um, I think were a fat more of a factor say in 2015 than they are today. Mm -hmm. um, there's a limit of what you could do with a botnet because what happens with a botnet is you, you sort of infect, the, you kind of max it out and there's no advantage to, and if you didn't get them, there's no real advantage to grow it after you hit this max point. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, botnets are also competing with all sorts of criminal activities. They're not just mining cryptocurrency. And it's the kind of activity that easily get, you know, gives you away. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, all the computers start generating a lot of heat and they're going flat out that you, you get given away. So there's only so much you can do with botnets. So I don't see that as a dominant factor in mining at all right now. I think it was more of a dominant factor maybe about two to three years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, from from that perspective, it's that it is today. Okay. It's uh it's um it's only so much you can grow with a botnet before you're basically maxed it out. Do you think Monero is kind of already fundamentally more distributed than Bitcoin is in terms of uh the way it's being mined? Absolutely. Because we we we've actually the largest GPU CPU coin. I think Ethereum had that role for a while, but Ethereum is being mined by ASICs. There's a lot of denial, but that's happening. Uh, same can be said for some of the other proof-of-work coins. If you're the largest GPU, CPU coin, that's a very nice position to be from a decentralization perspective. And, the, and I think what Monero is going for it, and, I, and I'm going to emphasize this, is the community has created so much uncertainty the threat is, uh, I think I made a comment and read about this. The threat is greater than execution. It's a very famous grandmaster called Aaron Nimsevich said this. And this is what's happening here is that the threat of what the community is going to do to the ASIC manufacturer is deterring it more than anything else. So there is so much going on that if you're an ASIC manufacturer, you say, wait a minute, I'm going to get left up hanging cold and dry here. So that's, I think, is what's doing it. So it's put Monero in a very strong position. I mean, I'm sounding like a Monero maximalist. Uh, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I'm lo I've lost your sound. I'm still losing sound. Not getting your sound. How about now? Yeah, now you got okay. it. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are starting to listen to these things that you're talking about and uh, even Bitcoin maximalists, I think, um, which is another question I have. I mean, you do you see Bitcoin maximalists uh, or even even people in the developing developer world kind of thinking, taking Monero more seriously now? Well, they already are. A lot of people are. There's a lot more interest. There's a lot of people that work for that are developers in Bitcoin that look at Monero. Um, 
the thing about Monero is a couple of things. First of all, it's not just the developer world. It's also in the, in the, in the exchanges. It's because it didn't follow the Bitcoin protocol. It's also harder to, if you want to start an exchange, you want to add Monero. It's a lot more work than if you want to add, say, for example, Zcash or Dash. <laughs> it's a lot more effort. So that's been a downside for Monero. But, uh, you know, I think with time, yeah, there are more and more people are looking. We have a very strong developer community. We have a, a very strong, there's also a lot of people in the periphery of the developer community of Monero. So this is all, there's a lot of seriousness. And quite honestly, if you want to look something different than Bitcoin in a proof of work cryptocurrency, there aren't that many choices. But are we pulling over some of the develop like Bitcoin core guys? Are they starting to think I, about they've, they've been working for Monero, like contributing to Monero? They've been contributing. There's been other people in the, in the Bitcoin core that has been contributing to Monero. Oh, yeah. There's contributions from that area, absolutely. Uh, uh, and that's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. What do you think of the, you know, the kind of, everybody always says, you know, if, if Bitcoin fails, then they all fail. Uh, the experiment of cryptocurrency as a whole fails. Do you think that's that's a true statement? Um, I don't agree with it, but there's a danger. But I think there's a bit of perception there. Because we're still very small. I mean, Monero is basically right now about uh, what about one and a half percent the size of Bitcoin, something like that. So, um, Bitcoin's already failed. I don't kid you. It's, or if you read the Satoshi paper, Bitcoin was designed as a peer-to-peer -peer cash that can be used electronically. It has failed at that. There's been a lot of work to keep its value by turning it into a store of value, a second, a first layer for second layer solutions, and that's fine. I mean, you, you know, they th th help preserve the value of Bitcoin. But in its, if you look at the Satoshi paper, this is right. If I want to suggest people read the Satoshi paper carefully, it's ten years old, so it's going to be ten years old in, in a few months, because it tells you why Bitcoin was created in the first place. <coughs> that task, unfortunately, I do not believe that Bitcoin can, can handle the task if it was set out by Satoshi. And Monero has a realistic chance of that. That's all I can say. Um, and the reason is when it comes back to the scaling. But to my opinion, I mean, I, 2012, I remember when there were stores in Vancouver. You could walk into a restaurant in Vancouver, have a meal, and pay for it in Bitcoin. That's not happening anymore. Well, yeah, every, everybody's well. I mean, everybody claims now it's you know it's digital gold, and there's there's no reason to to spend it. But the reason is that they have to find an alternative use for it because it cannot be used as a transactional currency because it doesn't have the blockchain doesn't support that. So you find a different use or a different application or to preserve its value. I mean, that's what's been done. That's the reason it has value. So some people are willing to accept that. I'm not convinced. That it can function as digital gold, maybe it can. I mean, Bitcoin is competitive at, one, at this point in one area, and that is as a transactional um, a sort of a reserve currency for crypto, because people buy Bitcoin to buy other things. Like for example, if I'm selling Monero for CAD or buying Monero with CAD, it's a good chance I have to go through through Bitcoin. So, but if that use gets eliminated, that sort of um, uh, reserve currency use, as I think probably, then that's also going to have an impact on the Bitcoin price. And that's only going to happen as, as currencies like Monero get more and more exchange exposure.
Right, and wouldn't, and wouldn't Monero then just become the coin that's also used for the store of value at that point because of the fact that it's being used as uh, a, a currency, so now it has more network effect, it has more underlying value, and then just the fact that it's fungible. I mean, I always thought of gold as being a fungible asset. I would say yes. Uh, fungibility is a very interesting point. I mean, it's a little bit of an aside, but the U.S. dollar is fast becoming unfungible. And it's and this and I'm not talking about cash US dollars. I'm talking about the digital version because they're two different currencies, very different currencies. Uh, the uh, for example, the European Union, uh, Russia, and China, they're getting together to bypass the US dollar over over the over Iran, which means to bypass the Swiss, Swift system and so on. So that's an example where fungibility is, is, has a real impact. And it will have an impact on the value of the U.S. dollar because people are going to move away from the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency because of this. So we've seen the start of that. So fungibility would definitely make Monero uh, more reasonable. In theory, the justification for value of a currency is actually its transactional use, which then gives it its value as a so-called digital gold. Gold is where it was because it was used as a transactional currency, and it functioned as a transactional currency. That's why gold is valuable, and it still is. Uh, and and Bitcoin doesn't have that. I don't think it has the amount of history to justify that. To transition so fast into sort of a digital gold. So I would argue that it could well be that it, that Monero could give Bitcoin a ring for, uh, a run for the money on the digital gold side. The the one negative people think was Monero's got inflation. It's got this one percent per year inflation. Well, that's less than the inflation rate of gold. But there's a perception that it isn't theirs, which is, I think, what's keeping the, the fixed maximum number of coins with value. Where did Ethereum Classic go from a fixed minimum block reward to a, to a fixed maximum number of coins? Well, I'll tell you why. I, my real suspicion is it because the hedge fund managers told them, hey, you need to do this in order to sell Ethereum Classic. So that's the reason. And I mean, and then the whole point is kind of moot anyway. I mean, if you can't run a blockchain because if, if it's if the architecture doesn't work um, and you need that tail emission, then it doesn't matter what the economics say, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, in an, uh, an ideal world, it would be great if we could have this fixed, completely fixed digital asset. But I think what we're saying is that that's not really feasible, right? Given the that's game, yes. given the way these architectures work, you need miners to mine, and you need the network to to be secure, and uh, it doesn't work without uh, a mining reward. Well, you need a mining reward to incentivize the proof of work. You cannot rely on fees to do that, and that's. And, but there's a huge amount of denial in the Bitcoin community about this. But not just in Bitcoin, but in a whole bunch of other coins, like Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, even Dash, etc. You know, uh, Zcash. They all have the same historical concept that we're going to follow Bitcoin on this. That's what puts Monero in such a unique position because it's not just Bitcoin; it's all the other possible ones are also in the same situation. Was there anything else you talked about? I know you did a, a talk at DefCon, right? Yes, I did. Was that was that basically the essence? You were talking about the yes, dynamic yes. block size and the the economics of it, or I mean, the tail emission, or yeah, I did spend a fair amount of time on some of the more specific examples of uh, what are considered um, 
protocols. And by that, I mean in business models. And, and one of the things that, for example, an example would have been uh, credit cards. The business model for credit cards was decided in 1949. And the first credit card well, it was launched in 1950, so Diners Club, had a 7% merchant fee. Today, as a Canadian, if I go to the States and buy gasoline with my Canadian credit card, my effective fee is 7%. Even though we have had order 10 to the 12 in the cost of uh, uh, keeping the ledger processing transaction essentially plunging, the business model hasn't changed. It was designed for the technology of the 1940s, where it made sense to charge 7% because how much it costs to process these things using hand calculators and tabulating machines and punch cards and so on. But the business model has survived while the technology has drastically changed. So what do you have today? You have all the merchants are complaining that they're paying too much to the, to the credit card. But of course they are. So I'm a restaurant and more money goes into paying the credit card that I'm making. So that, if I was going to leave a comment about this, it's business models and protocols don't change. Technology changes. And that's the key, the key message if I was going to send a message on this. Right, saying, well, credit cards weren't designed for the digital age. They were designed for the 1940s, based on the technology of the 1940s. But the business models have, have remained today, and they're no longer functional. The business model of charging the merchant to incentivize the sale concept, which is how credit cards basically function. Right. And that, that business model doesn't make sense in this day and age uh, where we're all on the internet and transacting on the internet. Well, that's correct. And in fact, the credit card industry has, has yet to figure out for a quarter of a century how to do secure transactions on the internet. They have, they do not have, do, the system they have online on the internet is based on minimizing the probability of risk it is not a secure system because you're using publicly available information about people to process credit cards. Well, what do you think about like the Venmos of the world and the PayPal's that are essentially allowing you to transact instantly and for free? Um, not allowing you to transact instantly and for free. Pay PayPal charges the merchant. It's, it's comparable to any other merchant product, three, three, four percent, depending on the transaction. So it's definitely not free, because the trouble with PayPal is they're built on top of the credit card industry. So PayPal could transition to crypto in the sense that if they were to and lower the fees and were to move to be to transacting cryptocurrency, so that is an option for them. But right now, as they are, they're basically another payment processor because they're stuck on top of this infrastructure. And I guess Venmo, the argument would be, it's, if it seems like it's free, then you're probably the product. Well, that could be also the issue. The other problem, of course, is that you're, you're getting to the question of people selling the, the information. Uh, and that's a huge issue for, for consumers. It's going to come even more and more. We so see what's happening in Europe with the uh, general data protection legislation and regulations. Uh, that's huge. I mean, companies like Facebook are going to face, uh, they're going to hit from every direction over this. So my argument is these type of products are still stuck on top of the old system. So you, you, what you want is a small transaction fee. I mean, the, the only way you can do it for free is if you actually subsidize it through seniorage, which is in effect what Monero is doing and what cash historically did. 
And that means that a very low cost is that the, the in, in Monero, with a tail emission, you're using seniorage to pay for the mining fees, which is exactly what Cash historically did. You know, you, you'd have a uh, silver coin and the, and the Roman Empire would put the stamp of the emperor on it. And, and, and initially it was 2 or 3%, and then they got greedy and debased it. But that small stamp told people how much silver there was in there, and so therefore they could trust it. And the senior age is the little percentage that went back to pay for that. So you could, that's how you do it for free. You pay, you have a hidden inflation, basically, a small amount of inflation, which is what Monero does. That's how you could do it. Um, can you do it through the fees? I think in Monero become very low. The primary purpose of fees in Monero is to do to spam, actually, as opposed to to fund anything. It's just to deter attacks. But as the, as the, um, what happens is as the, if the block size increase, the fees per transaction fall proportionately, so it'll be very, very low. Sounds like a good design to me. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it's, I, I think it's it's the strongest design right there on the market today. And I do not say that lightly. All right. Uh, I think we should uh, maybe end on that point. Sounds good. Yeah, thank you very much for taking the time. You're uh, very welcome. I apologize. This uh, I didn't have a perfect studio over here today. Some well, interruptions. I have to get around my issues with proprietary software such as Chrome. Okay. <laughs> like, okay, you have to do this and this and this and jump through all these hoops just to communicate with somebody. Well, that's something wrong with that. Yep. But uh, I would love to be able to reach out to you again in the future and have you back I'm on. Very, absolutely. All right. Yeah, so... Um, well, thank thank you. you very much, Francisco. It was a pleasure talking with you. And uh, good luck with everything. Hope to talk to you again in the future. You good. Take care. All right. Thank bye. You.